Okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. What's up, guys? Welcome to News Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Here joined by Ben DeBose of USA Today Sports. How you doing, Ben? Doing well, Solomon. How are you? I'm doing all right. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, the Rockets will keep their pick, and it will be the number two pick in the NBA draft. How are you feeling, man? Like, how was it watching that? By the way, like, like, did you, were you one of those people who had like the 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 order of the picks already like written down somewhere and you're like, okay, so if this person jumps up, that means the Rockets have a less likely chance of keeping their pick. Like how many tabs did you have open on your computer? So actually none only because so long story short, when we moved a few months ago uh, for a few reasons, it was better for us. We moved to get uh, AT&T TV, which is basically streaming. So because of streaming, there's like a, 20 second delay when I'm home compared to most other people. So because of that, I couldn't risk being online or even having my phone because someone would spoil it. Like the text would come through during that 20 second. So yeah, I had actually written down the pick order, you know, old school on hand because I put my phone and devices all out of reach because I didn't want to be spoiled. So I, I did watch the broadcast on ESPN, but since I'm on about a 20 second delay, wasn't doing live tweeting, anything like that. And yeah, just such a relief because the the bottom line, it's not even just about, you know, as far as fandom and anything like that. It's just better for everyone around this city, this franchise to have hope. And that's what getting the number two pick represents to go through the season they just went through and to not have a pick before number 18 overall in a year where the top four is really, really strong, that would have been awful on every level. It would have been terrible. I'm I'm really glad you said that because there are a lot of people that were just talking about it like, oh, it's not even going to be that big of a deal if they lose their pick. Are are you kidding me? Like, it is a catastrophe if they lose their pick. Like, it would have been one of the worst moments in Rockets franchise history. Uh, I had I had Dave Hardesty on last last week or a few days ago, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking about it and he was, we were basically ranking like, okay, so is this worse than the Chris Paul injury? Or is the Chris Paul injury like worse than this? Like, it's like, it, it's like that bad because you're talking, as you said, it's a really stacked class up front. And you're talking about potentially losing out on a potential cornerstone type piece uh, and dropping all the way down to number 18, which, you know, you might be able to get a good contributor there, but you're not going to get a star, right? It's mm-hmm. very unlikely. You know, stars usually don't drop that far. And it, it, it is, it, it's a major bullet dodged. I mean, not for, not only for the franchise, obviously for the city too, and the fan base. Like, imagine having to go into the 2021 draft after having the season you just had and selecting 18, 23, and 24. It would have been, 
so deflating. Yeah. Well, and the reason that I felt so much better, you know, besides wanting them to do well, I can't even imagine how toxic Twitter would have been if they had not gotten the top four pick. Because the reality, we can talk all day about process versus result and team building strategy, but this is sports. Sometimes it is just the result. You know, we can go back to 2018 and the Rockets did everything right. And then Chris Paul's hamstring went out at the wrong time. And then the legacy of that entire group, unfortunately, changes. That's just sometimes the way it goes. And it's not just about the one pick. Yeah, it's a fairly deep draft. And I'm hopeful that even at 23 and 24, they can get some good contributors. But to have a chance to get a franchise guy is so important, especially because it's so intrinsically tied to the other hot button issues that we've spent so much time debating on Rockets Twitter and even NBA Twitter, the Chris Paul Russell Westbrook trade. Look, I'm not going to say it's a good trade now. It's not, but it's less devastating. It's less franchise crippling now that the 2021 pick swap is out of play and Really, you don't owe them any more obligations until 2024, and who knows? By that point, maybe the Rockets are back in the playoffs. Similarly, the James Harden exit. A lot of people were very uncomfortable on NBA Twitter with what Raphael Stone took for James Harden because it had a lower floor. With those future draft assets and also the optionality of being bad, he clearly went lower floor, higher ceiling, rather than the Ben Simmons, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen getting some combination of those guys which would have given you something more tangible. And there's an appeal to that. Clearly, I understand it. But the flip side is that now you have something that you can point to and say that it resulted from the James Harden trade that they took. Now, did they intend to tank in 2021 when they did that trade? No, but I do believe that optionality in all sorts of future years, including this one, was a factor. If you have a healthy Ben Simmons, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen guys in that tier, it's going to be very hard to bottom out. And while they didn't know that 2021 would be a bottom out year at the time, I do think Raphael Stone, the logic still holds. He does get some credit for them getting this fix. So I just think in a lot of ways, it blunts a little bit the extreme takes on the CP3 Russell Westbrook trade. It's not as bad as we had all feared. It's still bad. Just not crazy bad, like if you had lost a number five overall pick in a loaded draft to the Thunder. And even the James Harden trade. Again, we still got to wait to see what happens with those picks from from Brooklyn in the years ahead, Milwaukee as well. But this is one thing you can point to and say, hey, if they took Ben Simmons instead of the Brooklyn trade package, do I think they have the number two pick? No, I don't. So that's something that results from that trade. And so I think overall, it's just a really positive moment that I think can bring Rockets fans together, build a little bit of trust equity, hopefully, in the Raphael Stone administration, so to speak, and just get everybody sort of back on the same page again. Yeah, the Chris Paul trade point you made was really salient to me. I actually wrote it down because uh, I, this is something I tweeted right after the, the we got the results of the lottery. Like that is one less thing you have to worry about from that trade. It's still terrible, as you said. Right, it's, it's still it, not good. Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you, you lost out on. First of all, Chris Paul would be much easier to move right now than John Wall. Um, and you know these picks are still going to be. There, like two of these picks are going to convey no matter what happens. Two, two of these picks are going to convey. Now, you have some time now to properly build out your team. Before you get to that point, 2024 is still a few years away. You have no idea what the Rockets will be at that point, but at least you have yourself some breathing room to like plan around it. And, you know, now there's really two or three opportunities left. Like I would say two major opportunities and two minor opportunities to improve on this trade, right? To make it a little bit less of a terrible trade. 
One, the, the biggest one, obviously, is if you can trade John Wall and get assets back, which I don't, sure. I don't think that's a long shot, right? Like, Agree. Agree. but that that is that is on the table, right? It's theoretically possible if you can do that. That's that's huge. Uh, the second, twenty twenty five pick swap. If you are good enough by then to where you can legitimately say we were better than OKC that season, or we were almost as good, like it wasn't that big of a deal, the drop off. That is a huge. You know, it's it's huge to get off your table. You don't have to worry about that anymore because then you you're basically only converting these two picks: the 2024 pick and the 2026 pick. Uh, the two minor ways, obviously, are just to get better and make those 2024 and 2026 hits not as bad. If they're pick 30, it's not that big of a deal, right? But obviously, right. I don't I don't intend I, I don't envision them getting that good. But if they're like in the 20s by then, that's pretty good. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter. And now you can see what's happening around your home right from your couch. Just pull up your home life cameras on your TV with your Contour voice remote and some simple voice commands. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're outside? Say, show me my backyard camera. And to see who's at the door, just say, show me my front porch camera. To learn more, visit cox.com slash thisishome. Yeah, I mean, I think it, and you also have to consider, by the way, the next two years, the Rockets, and this is where Daryl Morey deserves some credit. And I've made this point a few times, both on Twitter and various interviews. They did anticipate this James Harden situation coming to a head. That's why the 2022 and 2023 draft picks are completely untouched. There's no pick swaps, there's no protections. They are 100% owned by Houston. And so, if need be, if this team isn't good enough, they could be bad next year as well. Right? They they just have a natural tank like they did this year, although that was injury-aided. That can certainly happen again. But the point is you can get some really top-shelf talents the next couple of years through the draft as well if you need it. But that's one thing that Gerald Morey did do well is they left those two years completely untouched to where if they needed to bottom out, they could. And they left those two years because 2022 is the James Harden as his current contract stands. That's the player option year so the 2021 offseason was always going to be the inflection point of if james isn't willing to extend then you may have to look at trades because it would just be franchise crippling to lose him for no compensation of course what ended up happening is that james pushed the timetable forward even more than anyone expected no one expected him to push his chips to the table after just one year with russell westbrook and that's why you had to sweat it out being bad in a year in which okc owned the top four protected pick swap which thankfully did not convey but the point is that now this is basically a bonus you know you had james harden forcing his way out and you know what you still have your original timetable which 2022 2023 could have been your bottoming out years and they still could be but now you add this, a Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, maybe even Cade Cunningham, if you get lucky, a prospect of that tier already to kind of kickstart your rebuild. And then you still have those other options the next two years. You still have the Brooklyn picks and then Milwaukee, the protected ones from Washington and who am I forgetting? Oh, Detroit, of course. And so to me, it's just overall, the Rockets are in a good spot to where I think you hit the nail on the head. By 2024, especially by getting this pick, and then you have the next two years completely untouched, I think there's a pretty good shot that by 2024, you could have... It might be young. It might be unseasoned. You'll also have cap flexibility by then, because that's why... And to get back, by the way, very quickly to your John Wall point, 
they don't have to trade him. I think they would, especially for sort of backcourt development to give more minutes, especially if they end up with a Jalen Green or Cade Cunningham type, then I think they would like to. But honestly, they don't need to attach assets to move John Wall's contract. Worst case, they can just let him expire and have a ton of cap room in 2023 or even in 2022. He would probably have value kind of like a human trade exception entering the final year. So they don't have to desperately move him. They can do that a year or two from now. But the point is, on top of all those untouched draft picks that you have access to, you should also have a lot of cap room at some point in the next couple of years. So I think the odds are pretty good that by 2024, the franchise will be in a much greater place to where when those pick obligations sort of come home to roost with regards to the CP3 rush trade, it's really not that impactful at the end of the day to your rebuild. Now to go back to the lottery, and I don't want to belabor on this point, but I just just want to know, like, what was your reaction when Toronto first jumped up? Like, because that was the first big team, right? They jumped yeah. up, and like, you just—I just imagine like a spike of fear, because it's like a little. But honestly, so it did worry me a little bit. But I was actually relieved that no one until them, because I think they were normally supposed to be at like seven. So the fact that eight through fourteen went fairly according to form actually gave me hope. And I was really worried about because the odds are so flatter to these days to disincentivize tanking i was worried about one of those teams at the very back of the lottery like golden state somehow shooting all the way up something crazy like that so toronto it worried me a little bit but i had sort of sort of recalibrated my expectations to where by that point i was like okay this is pretty good but then i never bought in until i saw the shade of blue come out of the envelope for number five until i saw that blue i was still sort of bracing for the worst and then just such a sigh of relief when i saw that come out did you do anything? Like, did you like celebrate? Did you like high five oh, yeah. your wife or something? What'd you do? Oh, I picked up my dog because uh, everyone knows on social media, my dog buttons, because we try and enjoy everything with her because she's gone through uh, uh, treatment for a brainstem tumor. And somehow over two years later now, she's still doing amazingly well. Good but for yeah, her. I dressed her yeah. out and have a little uh, dog Rockets jersey. Yeah, I picked I picked up the dog and celebrated, you know, like she was a trophy. So that was sort of the celebration. And then the first thing I did was go get my phone because I stashed my phone and I could hear like just a barrage of texts coming through, like the vibrations. So yeah, yeah, celebrated briefly with buttons and then went to get back my phone because at that point, so I did take it out. By that point, once they were in the top four, I was like, you know what? I can get spoiled a little bit with the 20-second delay. It was the dire stakes of falling from 5 to 18. That was when I was like, okay, I've got to be completely offline. Anything in the top four was gravy at that point. Yeah, my phone was unusable for like an hour there. Like it, <laughs> it, it, it was nuts. Just, just because like the jubilation that Rockets Twitter was experiencing all at once. And like it, this was not just a Rockets Twitter thing. I talked about it on the last podcast. This had gotten into casual Rockets fan spears. Like I had people coming up to me at, like worried about this draft pick because they knew about the OKC trade. And that's, that's bananas to me. Like that is. Like, how often do casual fans know about things like pick swaps? That's not right. very common, right? And like, no. it bleeded into that territory. And I and I had, I had friends, you know, obviously I'm a Houston-based person. I had friends texting me like really happy about it. And I was really happy for them, and like they were they were celebrating and all that stuff too. And um, yeah, it was it was just a crazy moment. It it was, and you could tell there were a lot of people yeah. ready to dunk on Houston if that. If yeah. That oh yeah. Away. Such a relief. The ESPN podcast with McMahon, Ramona Shelburne, and Brian Windhorst. 
I'm not going to say anything bad about them because I understand the temptation to dunk on Houston. But yeah, you could see that the non-Houston-based panelists, i.e. everyone except for McMahon, almost felt a little you know, deflated because they didn't get to get off the takes that they wanted to. But yeah, to your point about um, the interest in this particular pick and knowing the ins and outs of the pick swaps. So I was floored at just how mainstream the knowledge had gotten. Like I had been asked by Fox 26 to do a hit on their morning show on Wednesday. And I committed to doing it before I knew whether it would work out or not. But I was surprised just like a regular news morning show anchor. She was asking questions that were sort of specific to that whether crazy. they yeah. her pick. Yeah, and I was a little blown away by that because typically you don't have that level of you know, casual knowledge. But I think in this case you did just because the past year has been so bad for the Houston Rockets that everyone just needed some form of hope. Even if you're in the media and you're supposed to be you know, somewhat detached, how can you not root for them to have something go right, to have something with this franchise that's interesting to follow, that gives them hope, to give the fan base something to sort of just celebrate and bring everyone together after everything that's happened over the past year. I don't see how you can be fully detached. And I think that led to people that even normally would not care that much learning the ins and outs just because everyone just wanted this so bad. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And like, again, like we live in like a bubble in NBA media, right? Where we know the ins and outs of like almost every team. And like, when something like this leaks out into the mainstream, it is just it's just shocking. Like like I I think it's it's it is because like people were kind of expect when you're really bad, you just expect a top pick. And when you come to learn that it's not like a guarantee that you're gonna get it, like I I think that probably sticks with you. And I think that's why it became so mainstream. Yeah, I think so. And I think it also helps that a lot of these top prospects, like they're the type, this is not an Anthony Edwards type draft in which the number one pick is fairly anonymous. People have been watching Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and March Madness. And even though Jalen Green didn't go the college basketball route, he was the top prospect in high school. People have been following these guys for a while. And so I think it just helps that we mentioned earlier, but the top of the draft is just so strong that now you can everyone identifies with these top shelf prospects. And even if they're not like the LeBron KD tier, let's not get crazy and put insane expectations on these guys. I don't think that's fair, but just the fact that these are household names, I think it's sort of just, especially for the first time in a long time that, that Houston has had a chance to get that high. You know, one thing I really agree with for about on Twitter, red 94, he mentioned the excitement when you have a top prospect and really Rockets fans have not had that since the days of Steve Francis and Yao Ming. It's yeah. been basically 20 years when you have a true top shelf young player, you believe it's often irrational, but you believe that anything is possible and it's not the same as contending for a title. But there can be something really, really fun and in some ways even more fun about that. And so I think for this fan base in particular, with names that they know coming out and now having an opportunity after a year that was so bad to get one of them, I think 
for Houston fans in particular, there's a lot to be excited about with this. And really with, with this particular draft, I mean, the draft starts with Houston. That That's where it gets really interesting. Like, I think we already know Cade Cunningham is probably going to go number one. It's not a locked-in guarantee, but he's probably going to be number one. Probably. Right? Yeah, so the draft really starts with Houston. That's where the intrigue starts because I don't think yeah. there's a clear... Well, we'll talk about this in a minute. But I don't think there's a clear consensus in the media as to who should be the second overall pick. And there, you talk to t- like three different people, you're going to get three different answers on like who, like people like this certain player better, people like this certain player be- better player. And I, I think I think it's going to be interesting w- with that respect. And that as, as we get closer to the draft, it's really going to get the coverage around Houston's really going to heat up, and we're going to be talking about this a lot more. But we, you know, we, here in Houston, we can talk about this stuff right now, and that's yeah. actually, that's what we're going to do right now because I just want to touch on it. I have someone coming in early next week to, that's more familiar with like draft prospects. But we're going to talk about it more like detailed. I just want to touch on it because the civil war has already broken out among Rockets fans, right? Like they got united on lottery night, but now, <laughs> but now camps are being formed, teams are being made. Uh, it, it's it's there's two major camps right now. It's Evan Mobley and Jalen Green, right? Those are the two guys that people are debating about right now. Yeah. And I, well, let me just ask you: do, do you fall in any of these particular camps? So I lean Mobley only because his floor is so high because of the defense. Like I think some people are looking at this wrong, like trying to fit sort of like a square peg into a round hole, if you will, in that. You know, the NBA is a guards league, and in theory, in most cases, you need a perimeter player to be, like, the best player on a championship team. You don't have to get that with this pick. You just need this pick to make you better. You can get it with a future pick, or you can trade for that guy once your franchise is more attractive, or sign them in free agency. We saw the way the Rockets brought in James Harden. So... I agree that Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham, if he were available, and by the way, I don't think it's impossible for the Rockets to move up to one and get Cade Cunningham. I agree that he's probably going to go one just because of the value and the fact that he's a consensus guy. But the fact that the Rockets own that future pick from the Pistons is actually really interesting to me because I talked about this with David Wiener, Bima Thog on Twitter earlier this afternoon. Because of the protections on it base and the rule that the NBA has that you can't trade future picks in consecutive years, right now the Pistons can't trade a future pick until like 2029 based on the possibility that they could be without a first-round pick in um, consecutive years. That's a step so, rule, right? Like you can't, yes, draft, you can't trade yes. back-to-back picks. So that pick in particular, like let's say that – and there have been some reports that the Pistons are not 100% sold on – Cade that they see Jalen Green and perhaps Evan Mobley is really good as well. Well, if they see them as the same, but Houston's willing to give them, hey, you can still get Jalen Green and you can take off this pick obligation, get back your own pick, and more importantly, have the ability to trade any of your picks. They might consider that if they see it. So while I don't see Cade Cunningham falling to two, I would not rule out the possibility of Houston if they like Cade enough moving up to one, especially because they have that future Detroit pick. It does help that it helps in a lot of ways that, that Detroit got the number one pick because number one, that's an option. But secondly, the Detroit pick is sort of protected, I believe. Like eventually it becomes like top 10 protected. But the bottom line is for Houston to get that pick, Detroit needs to not be terrible. Well, now, regardless, there's a path to Detroit not being terrible. So regardless, Detroit getting a top pick, um, it's good for Houston no matter what. And it means 
you know, an underrated benefit, by the way, is that so many of these top picks are all going east other than the Rockets. So really the top of the draft is about as uh, as good as it could be. But yeah, I lean slightly mobily only because I think his floor is a little bit higher. And while I agree he doesn't have like the transcendent potential that if you squint hard enough, you could see with um, Jalen Green. At the same time, I just think you have to make your franchise better and then even if it's not this year, a year or two from now, when you have better trade assets, when your franchise is way more attractive because you have a guy like Evan Mobley and Kevin Porter Jr. and K.J. Martin continues to develop, then potentially you can be in position to also have cap room to go after a guy that way. So my main concern, make sure you get a quality starter, a good difference maker with this pick. If it turns out to be a franchise player, that's great. So that's why I lean Mobley, but you can convince me on Jalen Green as well. Like, I think the important thing to remember is that while we're definitely going to have our own preferences, these are both really, really good players that all the draft analysts that do this for a living, they basically say these guys could easily be number one picks, any of them, in, say, a year like 2020. They would have clearly been better than Anthony Edwards. So I think you just sort of have to keep the perspective. I lean Mobley, but if they ultimately go with Jalen Green, I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, and, and to touch on your point about Detroit, like I'll say this. While I do believe they will ultimately end up selecting Kate Cunningham, Troy Reaver, that's the general manager of the Pistons, yep. he is someone who, I don't, I don't know how to phrase this, he doesn't like conform to like like Correct. a, a groupthink, group right? Yep. Like 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 in, especially in OKC, like he would select guys like like Russell Westbrook at number three, or or like Sergi Baca at like I don't even remember where Sergi Baca got drafted, but he got drafted much higher than he was supposed to be, right? And like he is someone like I I I would not like lock it in just because he's the general manager. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, they're already purported to be like dra- like working out like five guys, so yeah. it's clear that they're going to at least mull on this, right? And um, you know, we'll see. I, it, it ultimately will get answered by draft night, but uh, I I tend to believe Houston is going to pick from Evan Mobley, uh, Jalen Green, and I think see like there's there's two camps here, right? Like Evan Mobley and Jalen Green. I think there should be a third camp. I really, really like Jalen Suggs. I, yeah, I think he's underrated just because he doesn't have the measurables. I agree with you because even though he doesn't jump off the film as a guy who might be a superstar, again, I I think for the same reasons that I'm drawn to Evan Mobley, you can make a case for Jalen Suggs as well because Jalen Green, again, I'm not talking down on him. I just think that people are so desperate to get a LeBron, KD, James Harden type player that they're willing to do anything for a guy that has a chance of being that. And I agree that Jalen Green probably has the best shot of the three. Not saying that's unfair to expect, but just as far as a chance. But Jalen Suggs, I agree, in the same way that Evan Mobley, the floor scenarios do matter. Whereas right now, everyone is sort of romanticizing the upside scenarios, and that's all that they're focusing on. Whereas you also have to consider the floor. And I agree, I'm drawn to Evan Mobley because of the length, but you can make the argument for uh, Suggs as well. Sorry for jumping in, but I just wanted to point out that I think it's the same thing that I'm talking about with Mobley. I think people are just romanticizing the upside a little bit too much, which is understandable. Well, to be clear, if I were Houston, I would select Evan Mobley, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I I just want to talk about Jalen Suggs really quick, because I actually might select him above Jalen Green. Actually, right now, if you were to ask me, I would probably take Jalen Suggs over Jalen Green. And here's why. A, he's a better defender than Jalen Green. Like, straight up, already, right now, he is a better defender than Jalen Green. B, he's a better facilitator than Jalen Green. 
And Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, if you're a primary ball handler, which Jalen Green is going to be expected to be, is very hard to teach. If you already have it at that level, like that, there's just, I don't know, like I, I associate primary ball handlers with being able to be a good or great facilitator, right? You have to be at least good, good to great. And I, I think Suggs has that. And the ability to take over games, like he has some moxie about him that I don't see with Jalen Green, right? I, I, I think like if you watched him in the tournament, right? Like he was just a guy who would just like you could just lean on him to take over a game. And I don't know, like I, I, I even coming up to the draft, I really liked Jalen Suggs. And like the more I, the more and more film I watch, I really like him. I, I like him a little bit more like it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up being the best player from this class. Right, yeah. like, like, like that's how much I like Jalen Suggs. But um, again, if I were Houston, I, w- I would ultimately select Evan, like Evan Mobley. I just believe someone with that skill, with that unique skill set for a big man, it's so unique. Like his versatility is off the charts. He's clearly the best defensive player in this draft. Uh, he's a good shot blocker. He's mobile, and his offensive game seems pretty well rounded for a big man. Like he's not a post up guy. He's a good pick and roll guy, and he he's got a pretty Im- impressive face up game. Like he almost has guard like qualities. He he plays like he's six eight, but he's really seven foot. Like he's like he's able to like he has he's a good good ball handler for a big man. He like can obviously read the defense pretty well. He's actually a, a not bad passer. Like he's mm-hmm. he, like. The comparison that's been made with him is Chris Bosh, right? And mm-hmm. th- th- that is pretty lofty, but I see it a little bit. I do see it a little bit. I, a better comparison might be like Jaron Jackson Jr. And mm-hmm. if you can get Jaron Jackson Jr. at number two, I'm pretty happy. I, I think if I'm Houston, I'd be I'd be thrilled at getting that. Yeah, I mean, I again, I think it just goes back to the general theme that the floor of all of these scenarios matters. You don't have to hit a home run with this pick. A double is fine. A triple is fine. I think everyone, and it goes back, in my opinion, a little bit to some of the flawed logic that we talked about earlier with regards to evaluating the Harden trade because everyone wants something concrete. That's why Raphael Stone got so much criticism for going the pick or going the route of all these future picks, the optionality of tanking or quasi-tanking, whatever you want to call this. I think that in general, People want something tangible. And so now that there's hope, they want to see how can this be a potential superstar? How can this guy be the NBA Finals MVP? Whereas if you get a Jaron Jackson Jr. type and it's not a superstar, but it's just a consistently very good player, that's okay. You do not have to hit a home run with this pick. The floor scenarios matter. If you just end up with three, four years from now having a very good starting caliber player with the number two pick in the 2021 NBA draft, that is more than okay. I think people, you know, are just hesitant to go down the path of saying, oh, be it free agency trade, whatever, we can get our NBA finals MVP type player at a later date because they can't quantify that. That makes people uncomfortable. But again, also, I want to say this, like there's been a a stigma that's developed around drafting bigs at the top of the draft. And I I just think that's ridiculous, right? Like, like, I I think you, you know, people look at guys like Carl Towns and Anthony Davis, like, oh, this guy couldn't carry a top five offense or he could, he couldn't lead a team. And I just think that's, that's the, like such a backwards way to think about it. First of all, team building matters, right? Just because you get the right guy doesn't mean you built the right way. Right. Like it's possible mm-hmm. that these guys all selected the right guy, but they didn't build the right way. And it, it, 
you you can also like get your primary facilitator later. There's no rush to get that guy first. You just have to get a cornerstone guy first, right? And I think mm-hmm. Evan Mobley is that cornerstone guy. Like there's a lot of people that, you know, a, a couple months ago we're talking about Evan Mobley as potentially number 1. That's how talented this freaking guy is. And like I, even now like if if the Pistons select Evan Mobley at number 1, it's going to be a little shocking, but I guarantee you, like the the draft guys are going to be like, yeah, that's it's not a crazy pick. Like, like that's how good this guy is. Like the top four in this draft are all interchangeable, and in like in that they could all, as you said, could all be number one picks in any other draft. And there's, I just think that stigma about drafting bigs is so dumb. Because well, how far do you carry the stigma? Are you going to prevent? Are you going to let that stigma prevent you from drafting the next Chris Bosh? Are you, you going to let that stigma prevent you from drafting Zion Williamson or? Anthony Davis or whoever the big may be. Like, it, I, I just think that's a, the wrong way to think about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just, it, again, I just think it goes back to that same general principle of wanting to fit a certain template. And then in recent weeks, you know, we've seen Devin Brooker, this playoff run, and Trey Young to a lesser extent. And people just want the next guy they can put perfectly into that template. It's like tra- uh, chasing the latest trends. Sorry, almost merged words there. But yeah, I-, I get your point and I agree with it. And to something that Matt Bullard has said before a long time, TV analyst for the Rockets, the game is cyclical. The game's eventually going to move back to where, you know, it's not that big men are extinct now, but, you know, the game moves in cycles and eventually you're going to be back to a different cycle. And it's... Again, you don't have to fit exactly what the formula seems to be in 2021 because the only truth in the NBA is that there is no formula. Things are constantly changing. You just want to get the best players that you can. And yeah, I agree. Being you know, anti-centers because of the current landscape, I just don't think it makes sense. Yeah, and there's also this idea of trading the pick, which I don't think Rafael Stone has totally ruled out yet. Like, imagine if a team like Cleveland really wants Evan Mobley and they want to keep Sexton and Garland together in the backcourt. There's opportunity there to trade down and pick up an extra asset. and Or let's say in a couple months, like a bona fide blue chipper like Car Anthony Towns becomes available. If you're Houston, it would be criminal negligence to not explore that. Like, this is what the lottery is about. By getting the number one, the number two pick, you as a as a franchise, you get an incredible amount of leverage, an incredible amount of leverage in trades. Like your people are more likely to call you about trades because there's certainty around your pick, and you can do more stuff. And there's always a reluctance or fear among fans about trading a top four pick. But you've you got to realize when you're trading that level pick, it usually means you're trying to acquire another cornerstone type piece whether that's later in the draft or or an available blue chipper on the open market. I just think there shouldn't be like people shouldn't be closing that off because they want a particular like t- like a, a franchise level guy because chances are if they're trading that kind of a pick, they're trying to acquire a franchise level guy. Like I I think people should be a little bit open, open more open minded about this. Yeah, I agree. Well, listen, this was really fun. I know you got to go. I, th- I took up like 13 minutes more than I should have. but <laughs> No worries, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy having you on the podcast. Go ahead and plug your social media and anything you're working on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, ben DuBose on social media, The Rockets Wire on Twitter. And uh, the one thing I'll plug, uh, website's rocketswire.usatoday.com. But actually, before jumping on, I just got done doing a podcast that I actually just uploaded 
with Bobby Brown, former Rockets guard, that I think a lot of you will really like because Bobby Brown was actually the starting point guard for the G League Ignite right next to Jalen Green this year. So I talked to him about playing with Jalen, what he sees. Spoiler alert, he's very, very high on Jalen, as you would expect from a guy who was his teammate. But uh, yeah, Bobby's a good guy. So if you listen to this podcast, then yeah, check out uh, rocketswire.usaday.com and then the uh, Bobby Brown podcast about Jalen Green. I think you might enjoy that as well. Yeah, you do this a lot. Like you have this crazy quality of being able to tweet while you're podcasting. I'm, 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 on, tw- I'm, I'm on Twitter right now and I'm looking through. I'm like, this guy was tweeting like full paragraph tweets while we were talking and, well, I had, and, and so keeping I had up the conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but it's still, I, I still think it's really hard to do. Yeah, go, go, go check all that stuff out uh, and subscribe this podcast on itunes google play spotify and stitcher follow me on twitter at saw molly nba follow ben on his on all his social medias and yeah guys 